welcome to Rock and Roll Shinsu Chu. My name is Gabe Estel, and I'm here with my excellent co-hosts, Dennis Levi-Leach and Jonathan Getz. Happy Saturday, fellas. Indeed. Hola. Yeah. Good to see you. Beautiful weather, I think, probably where all of us are. Everybody's loving yeah. So, um, yeah. lucky episode uh, number seven. And uh, we're, the theme for tonight really is uh, All-Star Game. And uh, the All-Star Game just, just happened a little bit less than a week ago. Uh, actually, I thought pretty decent game this year. I, I caught about the last four innings I got to see. And, um, yeah, I didn't mind. It was one of those years I didn't mind watching it. But we'll, we're going to talk about sort of the the state of the All-Star Game uh, in 2014. You know, the, the merits and probably some futility uh, of it as well. So we'll talk about those things a little bit later. So, uh, But we have also are going to pitch uh, our starting lineups for our all-star teams. Um, and as I was thinking about this today, they're kind of more, I said all-star team, you know, sort of fitting with the theme. But they're kind of more like our all-Madden teams. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Guys that have this certain tenacity and uh, sort of skills that, that we value, you know, as music fans and probably... Our picks, you know, obviously they they sort of um, they convey our individual taste as well. Um, although I'm sure I would probably wouldn't kick anybody out that you guys pick of my band. So those are going to be fun. I'm looking forward to that. And then, um, but first, before we talk about those things, I want to get Levi's thoughts a little bit on uh, really the biggest trade that's happened so far in uh, in the during the sort of the trading season portion of the year and um as we know the cubs traded their ace in jeff samarja so it's not every every trading deadline where you know somebody's a really viable number one is traded you know trade deadlines always have uh you know there's always a lot of activity and contenders and buyers and sellers uh but you know you rarely do you have like an ace you know somebody who's like the devil hands down the best pitcher on their team get traded and um that happened with zach grinke a few years ago in kansas city uh when he was traded to the and then uh that so this deal kind of reminds me of that so i wanted to get levi's thoughts on it the cubs in this move keep stockpiling prospects you know this is this is really becoming a strong farm system that has a lot in the pipeline but uh but unfortunately yeah, cubs now not a lot of that on the field yet um other than a couple players. So, Levi, I, I know you were on social media. You were upset. Uh, yeah, yeah. My, my gut reaction. I was really upset. Yeah. I, I, was, I was really upset. Just, you know. On this. In, in my mind, my initial reaction was we just traded our two best pitchers right. for, for prospects. And – not to mention Jason Hamill was in the deal too. Yeah, yeah, and so while the the prospect we did get is it Addison Russell, he's projected to be one of the best prospects you know in the league, and and he's doing also far for the Cubs already. But uh, I, in my prospects to me are prospects. There's a chance they might not make it. Or there's a chance that they might make it and be the next Jerome Walton where they have, like, one career year as a rookie or their second year, and then after that they fizzle. Or uh, prospects can get to the highest level in AAA and then blow out their hamstring and then maybe not play again for another year or so or two. And then that they got to start up over again, you know, with all of that. And, and so 
reaction was yes. I was really upset because part of that too was seeing kind of the last of the old Cubs guard leave, which was Samarja. He's basically the longest tenured player, I think, that was on the Cubs. And so, you know, looking back now on it a couple weeks after it's happened, I don't know if I've made peace with it, but I mean, I've had to accept it. So it seemed inevitable. You know what I mean? Yeah. You know, and Theo says that this will be the last year that we're sellers and we'll see how that goes. And um, I read a really interesting article on Comcast Sportsnet and it was on there yesterday and it was, I'm going to quote from it here. It was uh, entitled, Was Thursday the Biggest Day in Theo Epstein's Tenure with the Cubs? And some people might find it funny because the Cubs didn't even play Thursday. But what they're referring to is Thursday in the minor leagues. Here are the stats from that one day. Okay, in play, Chris Bryant and Javier Baez both hit home runs. This is on AAA? Sorry, sorry to interrupt. This is on AAA? Yeah, yeah. Those two guys were in AAA, and then the rest of these are, I think, in AA or single A. So those two guys hit homers. Addison Russell, the pick we just got from Oakland, hit a home run. Jorge Soler hit a home run, and Dan Vogelbach. So one, two, three, four, five. Five of our prospects hit home runs that day. And then Baez, he got his first – game at second base because they're saying they're going to be calling him up to play alongside Starlin Castro wow. because Darwin Barney's days, I guess, are finished with us. Hmm. He's, you know, basically about to, to leave it at any point or we're going to put him down in AAA or something. Um, and so we also had two pitchers that are little-known prospects for us, but they had really good days that day as well. Uh, Corey Black, he picked up a victory, struck out eight, and he was acquired when I guess we the deal with Alfonso Soriano with the Yankees. Somehow we got this pick hmm. in that deal. And then um, Fujikawa, the relief pitcher for the Cubs, had a really good outing that day. And so I, I can see where the things that Theo has done and that he is doing are actually producing. I, as a Cubs fan, it, it will never be soon enough. Right. You know, that's just the attitude I've had to accept because yeah. it seems like. I, I mean, I don't, I don't want to be pessimistic, but we we had a really great farm system in the '80s. Did that yeah. get us any World Series? Right. We had Rafael Palmero. We had Greg Maddox. We had Mark Grace. We had, you know, we we had studs. Yeah. And so. Uh, I just hope that this time it works, I guess, for us. Had Brooks Kieschnick. Yeah. Um, But yeah, yeah, no, man, it's got to be frustrating um, because obviously, you know, when you're trading your your best players um, and really one thing I I wanted to mention uh, before we move on, you know, the Cubs payroll this year is um, 89 million bucks, which actually puts them closer to the bottom of the payroll scale where. Just a few yeah. years ago, they were near the top. Yeah, um, when Theo took like, over, where, it was yeah. like 140. Where's all that money going, you know? Like, because... Ricketts, Ricketts, right, pockets. Right, because the payroll, yeah, I mean, I just wonder how it's distributed, because um, a team in this large of a market, and I guess you could say this for the White Sox as well, um, you know, they shouldn't be, like, in the bottom near payroll, and the White Sox yeah. are near the bottom, too. They're just a few... A, a, 
the Cubs are a couple slots ahead of them, I think. Uh, or no, White Sox, I'm sorry, higher payroll than the, than the Cubs, yeah. just by a couple million bucks. Um, but yeah, it's 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 got to be frustrating. Um, and also, uh, I think that with the Cubs, it's, um, like you mentioned, the history of prospects, but also the fact that, um, you know, this is all kind of a crapshoot with with prospects, and when you keep stockpiling them and you're relying on them now, uh, as opposed to being players in the free agent market, which the Cubs really haven't been since they shed all those contracts, um, it can get frustrating. But anyway, so moving on though, let's talk about the good players and our players. Um, with with these lineups, like I said earlier, um, these are sort of musicians that are unique to us. And I can, you know, we, we shared each other's picks just a few minutes ago, and um, we'll share them with you now. We uh, a lot of people didn't pick like the really obvious choices. You know, this is I, nobody picked like Jimi Hendrix, you know, or Robert Plant or Keith Moon or something like that. Um, so that was nice. To, that was nice to see, and I, I kind of expected it as well. Um, so just to tell everybody at home what the criteria is. Um, I made up a list, uh, like a starting lineup card, um, with uh, including the DH. So just like you know the All Star lineups, as managers, we were kind of filling out these, and there was criteria for each position. And uh, I'll share that criteria now. Um, first baseman needed to be a rhythm guitarist, so your your riff master. Uh, second base needed to be a lead vocalist. Uh, the shortstop. Um, was the lead guitarist okay the the third baseman is the keyboard player uh the catcher is the drummer left field is your lyricist and in center field you're dealing with a session musician so um that should be interesting and right field is sort of the personality of the band the showboater um the dh is um the the shredder so sort of a more heavy metal guitarist, hard rock guitarist. Um, and then the starting pitcher is the bass player. So we're going to go ahead and go through these, and everybody can just give a little bit of explication um, on the, um, you know, sort of why you picked, picked this person uh, as your musician in that slot. So anyway, we're not really sure bands would ever, you know, if all these musicians could get in the same room. Um, that it could be a disaster. Be, it could be an absolute disaster. It could be a disaster, disaster yeah. <laughs> For more reasons than just musically. <laughs> so it's more likely a disaster probably than monumental. Yeah. Personalities and skills and, um, yeah. But anyway, so Levi, why don't you go ahead and go through your lineup here. Um, okay. Uh, or or I, I don't know if it would be, should we you know, we didn't talk about this earlier. Should we go through them, you know, position by position, one for each of us, kind of round robin, or should we just go over uh, our lineup card top to bottom, respectively? Hmm. Hmm. Let's let's care. let's go through yeah. the lineup, well, each lineup individually. Yeah. All right. Okay. All right, Levi, let it rip, man. Alrighty. At first base, my rhythm guitarist is the rhythm guitarist from this band right behind me, the Black Crows, Rich Robinson, and. I've just always liked his chord patterns, the way he does the rhythms to songs, and so I think he would be really good. Open uh, G tunings. Si- yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Lots of open tunings. Uh, second bass vocalist for the band is going to be Steve Winwood, and the reason I picked that is just he's one of my favorite singers of all time. 
Traffic is one of my favorite bands of all time, Blind Faith. And it, he's one of those people, as soon as you hear a song he's singing, you're like, that's Steve Winwood. You can like tell right away. And at shortstop on lead guitar, I have Brad Whitford of Aerosmith. And the reason, two words, Last Child, mm-hmm. the guitar solo. It's uh, one of my favorite guitar solos of all time. Uh, third base on keys, to compliment Steve Winwood, I have Bruce Hornsby as well. So I think maybe maybe Steve and Bruce could trade off once in a while. You know, if one guy's sore one day and wants to play second or something, you know. And uh, left field, the lyricist for the band, writing all the lyrics, Neil Young. And the reason I chose him is just he has so many ways to uh, convey emotions in songs. He's just one of the great word artists of uh, of our times with lyrics. And, and, and so at Airfield, for session musician, I had to think about this a little bit, but I came back to this guy right here, Jeff the Skunk Baxter, the man with the nicest ponytail mustache beret <laughs> combo you will find in rock and roll. He also kind of looks like that guy on WKRP in Cincinnati. A little bit. (laughs) That guy on WKRP looks like Jeff the Skunk Baxter, my friend. Yeah, jammed with Steely Dan. He jammed with Loggins and Messina, I guess, back in the day at certain times. He jammed. He played with everybody. He was all over the place. He was a jet setter. And so in right field, for our showboater, frontman personality guy, I picked Phil Lamont of Lizzie. And I always thought he had a really unique vibe that not, yeah. no one has come along since then and gave that kind of, I don't know, just like a real, maybe the closest thing to it would be maybe some of the punk guy. But like it was street cred he, yeah. he seemed to have as like a, as a gutter punk Irish guy or something, yeah. you know? And uh, He was really tight with uh, with Johnny Thunders. Like him and Johnny Thunders yeah. were really tight. So that, that lends to yeah. his street cred right yeah. there, you know? Yeah, yeah. On drums, holding it down in center field, we got Joey Kramer of Aerosmith. I happen to pick two guys from Aerosmith. And um, I just have always liked Joey Kramer. He's rock solid as a drummer. I was going to pick Steve from the Black Crows, but that would have been too easy for me just because I love him and he's a great (laughs) drummer. But designated hitter for my shredder metal guitarist i thought about this for a little while because there's a lot of really good ones out there and the one i settled on was zach wilde and some people may say oh he's not necessarily a shredder but if i think he is you know his first incarnation with ozzy he had like huge hair and was like skinny he was skinny as a bean and yeah. he just he stood up there and shredded all night well I mean, also he yeah i mean he had that to, now he had to play randy rhodes solos yeah, you know i mean exactly. so, yeah that's oh yeah that, that if, will uh, that will think, that will yeah, provoke you, shredding you know if you, so yeah, yeah if you want to hear a, a great a great early version of him shredding is the solo to i don't want to change the world by ozzy the solo on that is awesome and so uh go check that one out on youtube and so for bass player I have James Jamerson. And some people may not know him. James Jamerson was a bass player for the Motown scene. He did all the bass on Stevie Wonder's early records. He did a lot of the bass on, like, 
Temptations, or anybody who was basically in the Motown studios, he played bass on their record. He He's uncredited on like hundreds of albums. And I just have always liked his bass style. He had a really unique finger-picking style. And um, an example of that, if you want to check him out, is the I Was Made to Lover bass line for Stevie Wonder's song. And so to, to lead that ragtag bunch of guys for manager, I picked a gentleman named Brendan O'Brien. Uh-huh. And Brendan O'Brien is a producer who helped create these two records right behind me who were two great records, you know, well-known albums in their time. And it just seemed like if you, if you look him up on Wikipedia and look at his discography – there's an album you're going to like. It's you know? ridiculous. The, it's ridiculous. Yeah. yeah. He's, he's, Deep resume. he's done something for everybody. But he's done the sounds of the night I cherish as a musician and fan. And so um, I think he'd be a great manager or a coach for all those guys. Yeah, I, I, Brennan O'Brien, is, it's, it's interesting. I mean, he has produced some of my all-time favorite records, and he's also produced records I will never listen to. Yeah. Like limp yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's like he's done something for everybody yeah yeah yep. <laughs> yeah he's 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 one of the best man Undoubtedly. um yeah yeah good choices man um yeah I, I really like the uh the aerosmith choices as well you know they're so uh those guys are, you know, all I think kind of under the guys you mentioned, uh, sort of the you know, the guys in the band that aren't, you know, Joe Perry and Steven Tyler. Yeah, they're unsung. Yeah, yeah they're, they're really unsung heroes and and uh, really solid and underrated, I think as well. And with Winwood, you know, he's so versatile. You know, I mean, he could also play the guitar if you wanted him to. Yeah. Oh, yeah, mean, exactly. Yeah, little, yeah. little mandolin, little mandolin too. Oh yes, right. Yeah, <laughs> he, could, he could even get back in the high life. Seriously. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, yes. No, with with him and Hornsby on the team, I'm looking for like a 15 minute mandolin rain with right. those two guys. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, now that I hear Winwood's 80s output, it doesn't sound as bad as like it did then. Oh no. Or, or yeah, yeah I mean. Of- I can kind of even get behind Roll With It, I think. You know, (laughs) it's a fun tune. I'm that way with Eric Clapton's 80s output. His (laughs) 80s output has definitely taken time to grow on me. Hey, run it on faith, man, absolutely. Oh, yeah. yeah. Tearing Uh, Us Apart, man, with Tina Turner. I love that song. I don't know why. It's got like the most cheesiest '80s clap track in it, but I can't get enough of it. Clapton in the '80s is a is a guilty pleasure of mine. Yes, you, you yeah. figure everybody was playing on those songs, playing bass with like the the one that doesn't have the tuning. No, no, no headstock, <laughs> no headstock bass. Yeah, yeah no yeah. headstock at the top of it. Yeah, yeah. Yep, yeah. yep. Playing hard loving, uh, try to be your hard loving one. (laughs) Yeah, yes, definitely. Um, good stuff, man, all around. Yeah, definitely. Um, Jonathan, what about you, man? Go over your team. You know, it's interesting to hear how, how you guys approach this and how, um, versus how I was thinking about it. And, uh, I definitely, I went a bit harder and more versatile, I think, in some ways, where I took guys that I knew could step in. And like go play another position if I needed them to uh, at a moment's notice, and um, uh, so I may have thought about it a little too hard in terms of how this would translate to baseball 
and late inning situations. Um, so, um, uh, and, and I also, I, I think I skewed, um, for some positions I intentionally went younger, um, uh, because I think the young guys deserve a shot, you know, eventually. Um, at first base, uh, rhythm guitarist, uh, uh, Jerry Cantrell, um, Allison Chain's guitarist, uh, very versatile, uh, and also, obviously, he can, he can, uh, shred in his own right, um. But uh, and also a very underrated vocalist. So he's, uh, um, but Cantrell's uh, songs that he's written in the past, uh, uh, you know, since 1990. I mean, those are some of the greatest songs uh, uh, of the last uh, 20, 25 years. Easy. Oh, yeah. um, uh, yeah. Totally underrated songwriter. Um, second Absolutely. base. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the second base vocalist. Um, I, I skewed younger on this one. Um, Matt Matt Berninger from uh, the National, uh, uh, deep deep baritone, um, and uh, uh, I think uh, both in the studio and live, uh, one one of the uh, uh, one of the best vocalists uh, today. Um, You're big on those guys, man. I am, yeah. yeah. And it's yeah, weird. Yeah. Like, I will never, you know, if there's like a top, you know, ten or twenty bands. Uh, that I'm that I'm listening to, I, I I rarely think of the national. But then if it's like breaking it down, I always mention them, and it's like they should be up there. But for some reason, they always fall underneath my own radar, no matter how much I, I listen to them. So, um, and uh, shortstop lead guitarist Tommy Bolin, um, uh-huh. uh, uh, yeah, Tommy's uh, um, uh. You know, obviously, uh, his his work in the uh, in the seventies, uh, teaser, uh, private eyes, uh, phenomenal records. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, excellent, excellent choice. Guys. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. I I had considered him too, man. I mean, that guy that guy could play and just where you could fit him, right. he could play with Bowie or he could play right. in Skinner. You know right. what I yeah, mean? Right. I mean, like that's well, yeah, yeah. Yep. And that's and he, exactly he had a, why he had a personality. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. definitely. Great stage presence. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. definitely. And yeah, it's, and again, it comes down to that versatility. I want him on my team. Um, uh, third baseman keyboardist uh, uh, Ben Montench, uh from uh, Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers, uh, and uh, Ben Mont's work. Uh, yeah, I mean it's uh, you, you know the keyboard work, but at the same time, it's not keyboard heavy. Um, always, yeah, uh, and uh, so he's subtle but yeah. effective, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. He, yeah, he adds those fills. Um, and he, he's also worked sure. his with his fair share of, of musicians other than the Heartbreakers. Um, left field lyricist, uh, one of my favorite songwriters, uh, Kevin Kenny, uh, lead, lead singer, Driving a Crying, and also uh, his own solo work, uh, which I prefer. Uh, Driving a Crying, I, I love one of my favorite rock bands. Uh, but uh, Kevin Kenny's solo stuff is uh, probably some of my favorite singer-songwriter, quote-unquote, uh, uh, music. And uh, Broken Hearts and Auto Parts, I highly recommend it to anybody out there who's never listened to Kevin Kenny. Kevin, hold the eye. Uh, center field, session musician, uh, what was Donald Duck Dunn, uh, bass player. Excellent. Nice. Uh, yeah, but Booker T and the MGs uh, also worked with Petty. 
Uh, also, actually, he I didn't realize this. He did the uh, he was the bass player during uh, Dylan's uh, 30th anniversary uh, Madison Square Garden show uh, for all of those that they oh, eventually okay. released as a double disc. Oh, yeah. uh, so for He's everybody that came everybody. up there, what's that, Levi? Played with uh, he last recent more recently he was Crosby, Stills, Nash and Young's touring yep. bassist yep. on yep. on Worked one of those Young quite recent a bit. tours. Yep. Yeah. Yep. I saw him in 2002, and I I don't know if he was playing with him that night, but he was he was playing with him. And then, like you said, he played with Neil too. Oh yeah, yeah, and just passed away a couple years ago. Right, uh, right field, the the showboater personality, uh, Mark Bolin, T Rex. Uh, I think, uh, uh, I you know he was. Uh, the four the forerunners of, of of glam in in some ways, but at the same time, just absolute rock and roll. Uh, he could also add, uh, yeah. you know, that songwriting and just straight up pop uh, songwriting potential. Oh yeah, yeah, he had a great pop presence. Oh, oh man, yeah. just ridiculous. Um, but at the same time, really kind of spacey and and like from another planet in many ways. Uh, so that's uh, yeah. and uh, it's it's fun to have two guys in your. Uh, a- with the last name Bolin. Two Bolins. And actually, <laughs> that, that would be an interesting pairing. And no both doubt. died around the same time. Right, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, uh, the uh, the catcher, um, drummer, uh, I, I skewed younger on this one as well, uh, from My Morning Jacket, uh, My Morning Jacket, Patrick Callahan. Um, wow. Patrick, uh, he, he pounds the skins. Uh, he's... Uh, uh, quite enigmatic back there and uh, uh beautiful head of hair too oh dude yeah it's, yeah it's he's, really got some, he's got some flowing locks man. yes um mode. yeah yeah the guy's yeah, great. yeah yeah he's uh he's not shy and 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 when it comes to uh uh drumming so <laughs> quite bombastic um dh Shredder metal guitarist. I, I cheated a little bit here. I went more kind of fusion and uh, relatively speaking, and, and took Tom Morello, uh, Rage Against the Machine. And uh, granted, he's not straight up uh, Shredder or, or metal, but uh, he he hints at it quite a bit. Uh, yeah, oh yeah. And he gives me that versatility I'm looking for in in my lineup and in the field. Um, oh yeah. But. Uh, and you know it'd be interesting to pair him with Jerry Cantrell sure. uh, at the same time. Uh, again, I don't know if these things would actually work um, in real life, but oh, in yeah. theory, yeah, uh, sure, why not? To uh, uh, start starting pitcher, I'd be willing to listen. Oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's uh, um, uh, it, it'd, it'd be worth a little something. Um, a starting pitcher, uh, bassist. Uh, I went back and forth on this, so I cheated a little bit. Uh, in that I also have a closing pitcher. Uh, uh, my starting pitcher bassist is Rick Danko of the band. Uh, I, uh, Danko's, uh, you know, gosh, what can you say? Um, uh, not, not, not just his, uh, his, his bass playing, but also again, his vocals, uh, you know, it makes no difference. Songwriting. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. Songwriting. Absolutely. Um, he's, he's, he can, he can take you eight strong innings, no doubt. Uh, if, yeah. if you need him to, oh, yeah. um, 
And actually, his solo could handle, shows... Could handle his partying as well. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Jeez. Yeah. <laughs> I, I could never keep up with Danko. I, I would be, like, going to bed at that, the, uh, that too. The best, the best <laughs> clips are the Festival Express DVD. I don't know if you've ever seen oh, that, right. but it's from the, from the 1970 yeah. concert where they took the train across right. Canada. There yeah. are shots of him just so plastered, singing and playing at, like, the top of his lungs on that train. Right. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, they, none of us could keep up with Danko. <laughs> no. No. But, Combined. Uh, oh God, no. Um, uh, and, but and I went back and forth. Uh, but I thought a good a good closing pitcher slash bassist. Um, if you, if you need somebody just to come in there and and, sh- and shut the place down, Mike Watt. Uh, sure. uh, Mike Watt oh, yeah. uh, nice. of of the Minutemen and Firehose. Uh, is uh, uh, I mean the his energy is is pretty unparalleled on stage and he's still getting it done uh, you know he's been doing this for thirty years now and and, he's, and his studio works great too oh my god I mean, like his, yeah. his 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 solo albums are awesome yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Um, contemplating really the stuff. engine room is uh, uh, as far as like you know rock opera gets thrown around quite a bit but it is yeah. it has a theme so i guess you could consider it a rock opera but um contemplating the engine room is is awesome <laughs> i mean uh, and i saw that played in its entirety um uh, with mud honey opening uh that show that's one of my favorite shows of all time actually um uh, and uh so then uh the the our manager or producer uh i totally cheated on this one as well and uh took uh, uh, a producer of some of my favorite albums of the last 20 years, Wilco. Uh, Wilco self-produced uh, uh, several of their records, either on their own or with tandem in tandem with somebody. And uh, yeah. Wilco's production skills would bring quite a bit uh, to the table. And uh, I w- and and they had this ear where you know, and I wanted to get um, uh, you know Nels Klein in there into my lineup somehow or. Or uh, Jeff Tweedy as as a lyricist, even, but I thought no, and I can Tweedy, just take if, them all. Yeah, go ahead. I'm sorry. It's, sorry to interrupt. Tweedy is, I think, a really underrated lead guitarist too. When he does play lead, he yeah, um, he's 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 really good, man. Oh, he um, is as a guitarist. Yeah, you know, as, yeah. As a songwriter, you know, most people know that, but as a guitarist, he's he's great. Yeah, he's too. um, I, you know, I, I uh, for a while, you know, I didn't know w- what he could do, and then all of a sudden, uh, I heard some of it, and I was like, "Oh, well, that's very kind of Neil Young." You know, he's, he has very much of a Neil Young yeah. mindset when he's when he solos. And then also, I I, I heard television. And I was like, "Oh, television it was a big influence on Jeff Tweedy's solo soloing." Uh, <laughs> and oh, yeah. Uh, um, so yeah, Wilco as a whole would bring quite a bit to the table uh, as being a producer. I, I like the idea yeah. of. Uh, uh, manager by committee as well. So uh yeah, that's the lineup. Nice. nice. Very nice, man. Good good choices all around. Thanks. I like the Wilco pick too, um as a band producing, yeah. Um especially um uh, Sansone, is that how you say it? Pat Sansone, uh, yeah. Patrick. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that guy's that guy's that guy's really good and uh good stuff, man. Thanks. Well, I I'll, I'll go over my lineup here. Um and uh it's funny a lot of the picks that gets mentioned were people that like I, I had on my bench and I think somebody Levi mentioned as well. Uh, um, like I, I had considered, I could almost consider just about everybody 
except for maybe the bass player Tom, right, in my morning jacket. You know, I thought about <laughs> all the, just because I think those guys are so good. I, yeah. I think, yeah, right, sorry, the bass player Tom. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I thought about Patrick um, and um, and Jim James, and then uh, and Carl and Bo as well. Um, I think Jim James and Carl are an underrated guitar duo as well. Like, I mean, those guys are. You know, it's those guys are uh, are really tearing it if, up. If those guys needed to sub in Skinnerd for a night, they could. They could. I don't doubt it. I don't doubt it at yeah, all. Yeah, and like it would be the best Skinnerd shows like since the crash, <laughs> <Right>. basically. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, um, yeah. But anyway, so I'll, I'll start with mine here, and um, you know, with the rhythm guitarist as well, I, I thought about Rich. So yeah, Levi had some picks as well that I had considered heavily but with rhythm guitarist um i went with a guy that i want to wish him well because i've heard he's not been feeling too well over the last year so is malcolm young um and he's just a guy i picked because he's a riff master you know i mean like for 40 years now that guy has been putting out killer riffs and they don't there's not a lot of variance among them but that's that's good that's reassuring you know um there's only so many people who could write the same play on the same riff or different plays on the same riff for 40 years and have it be, you know, worth a damn and still sound good. And he does, you know, I mean, the, the guy just, the guy just knows how to write a riff, a hard rock riff. And, uh, so he's consistent, um, and underrated, I think as well, you know, um, just, he, he deserves to be mentioned in that classic rock pantheon of, of people who are still alive and still kicking ass and, uh, he doesn't always get it, you know, or he's overshadowed by Angus, you know? Yeah. But anyway, um, and then for my second baseman, my vocalist, um, I chose, I, I went, this is, a, this is probably like my biggest bad pun kind of curveball in the lineup. Um, I, he's, he's a lead singer for a band. I like a lot, but not necessarily one of my favorite bands, but I, I certainly dig him. Uh, He's the lead singer for Primal Scream, named Bobby Gillespie, and um, I always thought he had a really, really good stage presence too. Um, and just Primal Scream is a band that um, I don't think anybody can really go from like blues to to techno almost, you know, <laughs> just during the same live performance. Um, so uh, I, that's why I, I chose him as well, just his range and. Um, Really, the type of music that that he leads them through is just is great, um, and uh, he's also got that sort of you know he's very uh, snake like you know he's got that sort of Chris Robinson, Rod yeah. Stewart, yeah. Robert Plant, you know all those like all those really snaky lead yeah. singers, uh, Axel, you know to a certain degree, um, all those yeah. yeah all those guys you know he's 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 sort of like them as well. So uh, I just always really dug that guy. Um, mm-hmm. Great bluesy voice too. Um, my keyboardist, I chose Eddie Harsh. Um, you know, this is probably I assume a choice that all of us mold over. Um, I only didn't and, choose uh, it because so I knew you pick- would. Yeah, I, I, I'm the one that picked him. Um, <laughs> so I got him. Glad I got Ed on my team. And um, for me, he's just he he really defines two of my favorite records that were back to back. Um, Southern Harmony and Amorica, uh, particularly Amorica, because I think if you take him out of that album, it's a completely different record. It's just it, yeah. it, it would it, it's oh, yeah. to me to me it's you know it's 
Let's talk one of the he best. He provided records. a lot of layers. Yeah, it's one of the best records of the last, it's one of the best records ever for me, but particularly of the last 20 years. Um, and uh, yeah. yeah, he and he, he really, his signature is just all over it. Um, so his work, particularly on those two albums and, you know, also his personality and then how great he was live. Um, those, all those factors contribute to selecting him. Um, my left fielder, uh, is from a band that was previously mentioned. Um, I chose Mike Campbell. Um, to me, he's also a really like, like Ben Mont, um, also a really underrated presence. You know, I mean, you, you ask anybody like, you know, who's some of the greatest guitarists of the last years. Um, and you know, a lot of people might not mention him when they should, because, uh, his work's just so consistent and he's really the anchor. I think, um, one of the anchors in, uh, in such a great band in the heartbreakers. So, um, I always love Mike Campbell's work. Uh, he's great live too. Um, for my lyricist, uh, this was a little bit tougher because, you know, I, I didn't, I wanted to go a little bit, even though they've been around now for probably 20 years, um, wanted to go more recent. Um, I chose Doug Marsh from built to spill. Um, as a lyricist, I really like, you know, all the themes he deals with. Um, they're clever, his lyrics. Um, and, uh, you know, really, I think starting with um, Keep It Like a Secret and, and From On is just, uh, you know, his his lyrics are really great. And uh, he's also a great guitarist, too, really. That's a good, the, oh, the yeah. tandem in Built to Spill is right up there with, yeah. with, with My Morning Jacket and Wilco for, like, uh, and Pearl Jam and you know whoever the Rich and whoever the Crows whoever plays in the Crows I guess um, you know all those all those guys they're right up there too they're just just two great guitarists um, so Brett something is the other guy's name I, yeah. I, I, I forgot he's he's really good yeah keep it like a secret um, it's like it's so sneaky good I mean it's the guitars on that are yeah. just phenomenal <laughs> yeah yeah. Yeah, great stuff, and and, and uh, again, a great lyricist. Uh, for my session musician, my center fielder, I went with Elliot Randall, you know, often cited as providing one of the best guitar solos of all time in Reel and in the Years. Um, and uh, he also, you know, turned down the opportunity to be sort of a bigger name, um, which is, I'm sure, I guess he's got his own reasons, but he always wanted to stay a session musician. Um, you know, Steely Dan offered him to to join the band permanently and, and Celia Dan's always kind of been Becker and Fagan and, you know, a rotating cast of people. Um, but, uh, yeah, his solo on that. And then, uh, he did some work with Frampton. Um, you know, he did a, a lot of work in the seventies and, and, and I think still is, is doing some production work today. Um, if you go on YouTube, uh, there's a video he played with Steely Dan, um, in London, Back in 2009, he sat in on Reeling in the Years. And the quality's not that good, but people are going crazy. Like, somebody jumps on stage, <laughs> which probably... I can't imagine you see a lot at a Steely Dan concert. So, so, <laughs> so people are really stoked about Elliot Randall playing uh, such a good solo. Jimmy Page said it was his favorite rock and roll solo of all time. So um, so I, I, I agree with his taste. It is one of the best. Um, for my showboater, um, this was pretty obvious. This was like the most obvious choice to me. It has to be the pride of Indiana, David Lee Roth. Um, you know, yeah. I, I mean, what he lacked in singing ability, he more than made up for in his stage presence oh, yeah. and just 
being he's a carnival barker. You know what I mean? That's what Absolutely. David that's what David Lee Roth is. Yeah, David Lee yeah. Roth is a carnival Front barker. Man. He's yeah. he's Groucho Marx hosting a wet t shirt contest. All right. That is David <laughs> Lee Roth. <laughs> Yeah. And he was like, I mean, it was like person was probably like one of my earliest musical heroes. Oh, yeah. You know, after seeing the jump video when I was five years old, I was doing the trying to do the kicks and, oh, yeah. you know, just <laughs> just he just had this magnetism. Oh, yeah. Um, California girl. Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, I, I love how, how cheesy yeah. he is. You yeah. know, it's like it's all yeah. it's all so Vegasy, you know, food. but it's, <laughs> it's just I love, love every minute of it. Um, he's funny. You know, I mean, it's always good for a soundbite. So, yeah, Diamond Dave, absolutely. Um, and then uh, for my catcher, uh, I went with uh, someone from one of my favorite bands. So maybe this isn't, you know, this this choice might be obvious for me. But maybe, you know, the reason that I chose him is something I don't think he gets credited for enough. Is I chose Peter Chris because I, Peter Chris had a jazz background and he really brought it's very it's. You have to listen closely, but he really brought that to the first few Kiss records, probably like the first three records or so, which a lot of people don't uh, don't really hear. Um, but yeah, he's just such he was he had such a good sort of uh, swing almost to his drumming uh, that that I don't think he gets enough attention for. Um, so so I chose Peter Chris uh, for you know his jazz influence um, in a band that doesn't really have a lot to do with jazz. <laughs> And then for for my DH for my shredder, um, I base this. You guys chose Zach Wild and John Levite chose Zach Wild and Jonathan chose Tom Morello, like both really great guitarists. And that isn't to say this guy isn't a great guitarist too. It's just his body of work isn't as good as Zach Wild's or Tom Morello's. Um, but I chose him as sort of. I think he reflects like the best type of that type of guitarist in an era where there was a lot of really guitar overkill. Um, I chose Warren Demartini of Rat because, like, of that ilk, he's my, he's my favorite guitarist of that ilk. You know, like, um, to me, Rat always had, even though they were sleazy and, and you know, didn't have a lot to say in their lyrics or anything like that, um, always, like, the best of that bunch. And I think a lot of it has to do with his guitar work as well as as well as the guitar work for Robin Crosby, who passed away um, about 10 years ago or a little more than 10 years ago. Um, so, yeah, I've always I've always felt like he, he's, a, he's a good shredder. Yeah. Yeah. Like, you know, in an era that like has some acts that are tough to defend, well, yeah. like his, his playing ability was was really good for for that type <laughs> of playing. Yeah. But anyway, it's, it's hard to stand out when everyone has a neon colored zebra exactly. striped guitar. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, but yeah, his, his, I, I, I'll always I'll, I'll defend Rat. All right, built to spill and Rat. That's what I'm about. Okay, <laughs> you guys should know that by now. Okay, um, for my for my starting pitcher, I chose Lemmy. Uh, <laughs> You know, he could also fit into the showboater personality, although Lenny doesn't really showboat. He's, it's still a big personality in, his, in a Lemmy way. Um, and also, Lemmy, I was watching this documentary. I don't know if you guys seen that documentary on Lemmy, the one that was made a few years, a couple of years ago. It's really good. Slash was interviewed, and he said that Lemmy has this sort of R&B Motown influence that you don't always hear in his playing, but if you listen, it's 
listen closely, it's there. And uh, they kind of the documentary kind of breaks it down for a second, and it's like, yeah, wow, Lemmy Lemmy does have like an R and B influence <laughs> on on his playing, even in Motorhead. Um, and just God, the guy's like pushing seventy, and I mean, he's still he's the same Lemmy, you know. Um, so yeah, when your voice was never that great to begin with, your voice never worsens, really. <laughs> right? Yeah. You know? yeah. yeah, exactly. So, yeah, same thing with Tom Waits. Tom Waits will always sound good because he never sounded good, you know. But he's he's <laughs> awesome. He's Tom Waits. Yeah. Um. So anyway, um. My last choice is the manager um, for our producer. Uh, I chose a guy who who also passed away a few years ago. Um, and his body of work, really, you know, everybody from Aretha Franklin to Leonard Skinner to to Derek and the Dominoes. Um, you know, I chose Tom Dowd. You know, we're probably one of the most story producers of the 70s, and uh, it's just such a resume. I'm not going to go over all of it, but I just mentioned some of the range within that resume, and uh, just 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 a great producer. Um, and it sounded like a pretty good guy too, from what everyone from what everyone said. So Tom Dow gets my vote. Uh, Allman Brothers Band whole, as well. Yeah, Allman's as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. leading this oh, yeah. flock here. Yeah. So uh, yeah. yeah, absolutely. Um, so great, nice. great choices all around, yeah, guys. As yeah. these all, as these teams, uh, I'll post fun. these on the Facebook page too, so everybody can see them. Um, one, one question I wanted to ask you guys: um, if there's anybody, is there anybody like in a band that you don't really either, either maybe you don't dig them or you're not that familiar with them that you would put on your team, maybe as like somebody on the bench, you know, like anybody, anybody on like a band that you might not be too keen on. You don't have to hate them. Um, that 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 would that would make the team. Um, I, I've got one, so I'll start us off. Um, I really like the he's the cousin in Kings of Leon. Like I think that kid's work. That kid, he's probably like thirty now. That guy's work. <laughs> um, he's, that guy's work stands out in in like what has become a mediocre band. It even like a band I really don't like anymore. Even though when I really like their early yeah. work, um, yeah. Yeah, um, but he's good. Like I think his work, like take take him out, and they they really they really kind of suck right now. <laughs> um, so I, I always, uh, even though they're a popular band, and he would probably never, I don't know if he'd ever leave. I, I'd like to see that kid play, that guy play play in a different band. Mm-hmm. You know, like to 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 see him play with a band I dig um, would be really interesting. Have any of them um, done any side projects? I think I think the bass player did did something. Yeah. Um, but I, I don't know. I don't know how uh, what what, uh, what other work they've done since since Kings of Leon started. So I would choose him. I don't know if you guys got anybody. If you don't, you know, we can always post it online later. But um, yeah, it's 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 a good question. Um, and and I yeah, I bet that there are uh, some. But it's gosh. Um, you know, with with a lot of this, um, uh, it's a whole tree falling in the forest. If nobody oh, is yeah. there to hear it, does it happen? Yeah. Um, and so, you know, with like, uh, I would immediately go to the top forty and see what's happening in, right. the, in the top forty. And uh, you know, I, I think, um, ah, gosh, it's it's tough. Um, I, you know, in in a way, one really obvious choice would be, uh, um, you know, there's always room for Elvis, and and I've 
I've never really super got into Elvis. Obviously, we just you okay. absorb Elvis in America. You sure. don't like have to try. You don't have to like queue yeah, up the yeah. CD he's, because he's the Beatles. You yeah, know? I yeah, mean, you can right. always find some Elvis, and and so you never really think about. But in the whole idea of what he would have sounded like later, you know what what uh, I always think about like the the shitty stuff musicians who died early would have put out in the eighties. Um, so it would have been interesting, the shitty stuff that Elvis would have done in the eighties. Um, but it would have been interesting. (laughs) So, um, just to get him out of that, uh, you know, the, what the, what he did in the fifties, sixties and seventies. Uh, uh, and, uh, to hear what he would embrace the eighties hip hop scene. (laughs) (laughs) Dude, he would have like, yeah, yeah. I mean, he had in the ghetto, that was like a prelude for that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So yeah, Elvis. <laughs> well, cool. Well, right. Levi, do you have anybody? If, if not, we'll uh, we'll you know we can go on. I just thought I'd yeah, throw I mean, it out there. The first person that came to my mind was the guitarist for Collective Soul. Okay, nice. Wow, nice. Yeah, I was never a huge fan of them, but like going back, I can like listen to some of their songs and be like, that was like decent guitar work. Yeah. The guy was a decent guitar player. Yeah, I can, I don't know the guy's name off the top of my head. I, I know, yeah, I, I, can, I, can get, I can get behind that. I can get behind the guitar, whoever the guitarist is in Candlebox as well. Yeah. So anyway, um, good, good, good call. Well, what we're going to talk about, um, the last item on the agenda, um, the All-Star Game, the theme for this episode, um, in connection to the All-Star Game that happened last week, um, I don't know if you guys got to watch it. Um, I only watched the last, like I said, about the last three and a half, four innings, and it was a bit what I saw. It looked like people were really actually trying, you know, as opposed to just sort of to phoning it in. Um, except for maybe when they faced Derek Jeter. Um, right, ask him why. Right? I don't know if you guys saw that. Did. Yeah, right. Poor guy. Um, <laughs> anyway, so I don't know if you guys 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 got any observations on it, but also I wanted to talk a little bit about. You know, is the all-star game really even necessary anymore? Uh, does it mean anything? You know, did it mean something? And now it doesn't. So I wanted to get your thoughts on that. Go um, for it, Levi. I, I would say I, I think it means something still, and I think it has meant something to the players. Right. And that, yeah. that is like a pride thing. Oh, with, the, um, I don't remember, but the year Pete Rose – Ended the catcher's career with the with the crash in at home. Yeah, I, I want to say it was maybe like seventy one. I off the top of my head, but yeah, I mean, guys, I think get into it because they know they're playing against the best, and they want to they want to try and see how good they are against the best. Yeah, and uh, I mean, the crowd, you know, we're supposed to eat it up, and some of the stuff is fun. I ended up watching all of it up until the two Cubs struck out, and then I was like, "Wow, I watched all I watched all of this just to see my two players strike out." So, which was like up to the seventh inning, I think, or so. But um, like Gabe said, I think it seemed like they were trying. I think it did mean something to them. I think it, um, if anything, was a badge of honor. And you know, I don't know what the record is, but. W- has the person who's gotten home field advantage during the series won the last couple? I'm not sure. I'm um, not sure. I mean, they tacked that on a few years ago to make to give you know, sort of incentivize the game a little bit more, which I think was a good move. You know, yeah. um, 
yeah, I don't know if like you know the person who's on the Marlins might not give a shit, you know, about. I, yeah, <laughs> about, I don't know. Yeah, I I, right. I disagree. I, I I don't think that was a good move because I I think it should mean something, but it shouldn't mean October. Um, yeah, and, yeah and, I, I agree with that, John. And and yeah, I you know so there's there's some who wonder if it was Fox who who demanded that that. Um, uh, home field advantage beyond the line or something of significant value beyond the line so that they got more viewers. But it's like, it's not the Super Bowl. It never will be. So why do they, you know, you're you're going to get a certain rating and that's going to be that. And it should only matter as much as that rating reflects. Why does everything have to mean, you know, something like significant? Right. Why, it's an exhibition yeah. game. And, and just get the players out there and... You know, let them relax and let them have fun and let them just be the athletes that they are to where you have these matchups that are, you know, very intriguing where, you know, like uh, you have these memorable moments like and I think it was 99 when Pedro uh, was uh, Pedro Martinez pitched in Fenway and he struck out the side and it's just these moments and and it doesn't need to mean more than just these singular moments of. Uh, you know, an interesting double play combination uh, or, you know, Miguel Cabrera going deep on an ace and, uh, you know, just let it be that one moment. And then in a very Zen-like way, it then means nothing, you know, it's, it happens right. and then it goes away. And really for, yeah. and, and, and Levi, you mentioned, you know, for the fans to be there to watch that, you know, we had the all-star game in Kansas city a couple of years ago and it's a moment for the city to, you know, they get the spotlight on them that Kansas city hasn't had the spotlight and Minneapolis yeah. really hasn't had the spotlight, uh, even though they've had quality teams, um, to let the national audience see what the city's about and see this ballpark and, and, you know, the renovations to the K or the new stadium in Minneapolis, uh, yeah, to the, see the city how gets nice a chance it is. really to market yeah, itself. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. Th that's a big deal. I mean, that's a big deal locally and oh, it's yeah. probably a bigger yeah. deal locally than it is nationally. And like you said, Gabe, just to tune in for a couple innings or Levi to tune in to see your, your uh, favorite uh, your your favorite team's players participate, and if that's it, fine. That's awesome. Great. Um, it doesn't need to mean anything more than that. Yeah, yeah, I I agree. I think it'll be interesting to see after Bud Selig retires here to to see what if the new commissioner maybe tries to do anything different with yeah. it or to adjust yeah. it. And um, what I just kind of a touch off topic from the All Star game, but it does have to do. When they were talking to him about retiring, he said one of his regrets is, and what he wants to see is there be another team in Montreal. Do you guys oh. have any thoughts on that? I didn't hear that. I, I, I did hear yeah. that. And, and you know, you hear this, and, you know, it happened in Charlotte uh, with the NBA when they lost the Hornets, and then they got the Bobcats. Yeah. And I guess I don't know enough of the background as to why a team fails in a city. Is it because of ownership or is it because the fa there's not a city there to support it? And I can't speak to Montreal. I don't know if they weren't. They didn't have a very quality product out there. But if, it, right. if, if it's that a city that isn't willing to support it, then what's the point? Stadium. Say that again? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you could say, you could say both teams in yeah. Florida right I, now could get the axe and I don't think anybody would blink. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And 
the one of the I guess main reasons supposedly of Montreal was the Olympic Stadium was like falling apart, but it's still there today. They still yeah. use it for every like, stadium's going to eventually fall apart. It's eventually going to have an exhibition game in March. You know? There, yeah. it's like the Blue Jays and the Mets. I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 You know, I, I, th- I think I the stadium know. excuse is a crutch, and and I think, um, and then to compound that with the idea of a publicly funded stadium, which I don't know if they would consider in the more kind of progressive uh, uh, Canada. Um, uh, but, uh, you know, to, to then like f- have the public foot the bill for something that won't be used 25 years from now because it won't have a tenant, um, makes it all the harder to swallow the idea of, you know, being fooled again. Yeah. It, it, it's an interesting observation. A, yeah. Go ahead. I'm sorry. I can see there being a team in Omaha or, or Las Vegas first, maybe. Yeah. Vegas, yeah, with- Portland, New Orleans. I don't know. San Antonio. Yeah. yeah. Indianapolis. Right. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, I don't know. I mean, I think you'll see a team relocate before you see a new franchise created. Yeah. You know, I mean, yeah. I, I don't know. I don't know if like baseball right now, not only with the economy still sort of um, still, you know, being off track a little bit um, and also just sort of the, the popularity of baseball. I don't know if you'd get a city to really like get behind a new team. Like you could relocate a team, I guess is what I'm trying to say, but just a new fran just erecting a new franchise like you like they did in Colorado and, mm-hmm. and right and Tampa and yeah. Arizona mm-hmm. um you know twenty years ago or so, yeah, I don't know if that would I don't know certainly know if that would happen again um but yeah. I could see somebody moving, I could see the Rays moving or the you know yeah, if they don't get particularly their deal. they don't have a new stadium right yeah, right. um. Yeah, that would be like the first team to probably move because it's like they're except for this year they've struggled, but you know they've been good now, minus this year for about the last six seasons, and still nobody shows up at that ballpark, and just the the whole Florida Florida doesn't want professional baseball, no. <laughs> um, yeah. you know, for some reason, yeah. yeah. Despite having despite having some pretty good teams, yeah. Um, Co- college football is the preeminent sport in Florida. Exactly. Yeah. So, so anyway. Uh, two observations I've got for the all-star game and then we'll show our cards. Um, to me, the, the all-star games reputation suffered a lot when Selig called the tie a few years ago. I think it was, in I thought it was fun. Why not? It's the most memorable all-star game of the last 20 years. Cause it was a tie. Who cares? It didn't mean anything. It was a tie. They all get juice boxes and they move on. Great. Right. But still though, the, the, the damage is, the damage was done though. I mean, yeah, I, I agree. Like I, I, I don't know if it's a big deal to me, but it was a, it seemed like a big deal. To a lot of people and just, just empirical evidence. It seems like it's it, reputation has suffered since then. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. Um, rather than whether, whether or not I'm not, I'm, I'm trying to be objective on the decision. I don't, you know, like whatever, I don't really care the outcome of the game. Um, or, or if it was a tie, um, but just, it seems like yeah. that hurt it, is what I'm trying to say. Yeah, yeah, and, um, and really, I think if if right they on. weren't so like uh, stuck in their ways, and baseball is always, uh, you know, it, it defers to history and how we always do things. Yeah, if they could have called a home run, der- an impromptu home run derby right then and there, and mm-hmm. brought out a batting coach to throw, and just had just had a home run derby to decide, it would have been one of the most memorable. Uh, games in the history of the all-star game and i think they in some ways they would have been lauded for it because it's like okay 
that's cool. You know, they just riffed on their situation and and yeah. uh, they they made it happen, yeah. and it was an exhibition anyhow. So who where cares? the hell were you, Jonathan? God, <laughs> <laughs> it would be cool to see something spontaneous happen like exactly. that. Or, uh, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I'm that's I'm all about bending the rules for the All Star Game. Yeah. I, I don't think those yeah. those things should be etched in stone. Um, and my other observation was. <clears throat> Levi had mentioned that the whole process is good for the players. And it, I'll agree with that in the sense that, like, yeah, it's good for their career in the sense that, you know, I, I would assume when contracts roll around and you have a younger player, if he's made two or three all-star teams, that probably helps. And then in the age of Internet voting, the selection process has become bigger than the game. You know, like to like this year, Chris Sale won the final AL slot. And, you know, there was a big campaign, hashtag target sale. Um, so that has become exciting for the fans, even if, like, a lot of those people who vote don't even tune into the game. Uh, so those are just kind of my two my two observations. Well, about yeah, it. and I thought it was interesting. Both guys from Chicago got the final vote yeah. this year. The yeah. with right. Rizzo for the Cubs. Right. Well, right. voting in Chicago, It'll... it has a reputation. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hey. hey. Yeah. Early and often. Early and often. Forget about it. Um, so... Um, <laughs> Yeah, also the White Sox somehow sent three guys from a pretty shitty team as well. Yeah, yeah. So I was yeah. I was like, wow, we have three players going for a team that's below 500. Yeah. Um, anyway. All right, so it's time to show your cards. Uh, I've got mine ready. So, uh, Levi, why don't we go ahead and start with you? Uh, show us your card, man. Okay, my card is one of a series, and I'll give you a little story about it. Um from around 1991, 92 to about 95, 96, Denny's in the summertime when you would eat there and order a Grand Slam, you would get a Denny's Grand Slam hologram card. It's wow. really hard to see, I'm sure. But um, this is a Will Clark on the San Francisco Giants hologram nice. card. Nice. And uh, these cards have memories for me because we would travel to Colorado every year for summer vacation. And we would stop at, like, Denny's along the way, so I would get, like, multiple hologram cards awesome. as the vacation progressed. Awesome. And um, you, you won't be able to see it, but on this one, they got really fancy towards the end. This is a card of Ryan Sandberg, and when you move it, it's actually, like, a hologram of him catching a baseball and, like, turning across his body and throwing it. Nice. Wow. So, yeah, they were pretty fancy for Denny's. So when they when, when they give, uh, give you the card, what, did it come in a pack? They were in like a really thin cellophane, like plastic pack. Yeah, and you could and there was see one through it. Card to a pack. Could you see through it? Um, I think on some of them, yeah, you could see through to where, like, if the wait, like, you know, the waitress gave you one you had, you could be like, no, I have that. Right, that's what I was know. getting at. Could nice. could you could you get the waitress yeah. to bring you several and you could choose one? I I have a couple more. I actually have a uh, Lenny Dykstra and a Matt Noakes on the Yankees. <laughs> Nice, Noakes. a Noakes card. Wow. Awesome. Yeah, a, a Noakes Denny's hologram. Awesome. <laughs> Even Denny saw the potential in Matt Noakes. <laughs> right, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Awesome. It was a coveted card, man. Awesome. Um, Jonathan, what about yours, man? What I, I, you, uh, uh, mine is a uh, uh, one I have several of, and this is my first favorite player, and uh, uh, it's uh, obviously... Uh, uh, there's a huge soap opera behind this player now, and and uh, you know my feelings are, are extremely mixed. 
on this player and um, to the point where I really don't like him anymore. Um, and, uh, but more importantly, it's also a hint at a uh, future um, uh, a rock and roll Shinsu Chu um, direction. And it's a 1986 Tops uh, Roger Clemens. Uh, again, I have several of these cards. Um, uh, like I'll, I'll just like pull them out of the couch, and it's like, oh, it's another '86 Clemens. <laughs> um, but uh, more importantly, <laughs> though, it's uh, um, we're working on uh, some rock and roll Shinsu Chu um, uh, logos, and I, I use the '86 tops as inspiration for one of those that uh, hopefully we'll all be seeing very soon. Nice. Yeah, man. It, I, I feel the same way too, man. Like I have such mixed feelings about that guy. Yeah, uh, and uh, it's just—I don't know. It's awful. It's like if Nolan Ryan would have shot somebody or something, you know? It's like, <laughs> Roger Clemens, it's like, why do you have to fuck? You touch steroids, you fuck. I like you. A lot. Uh, <laughs> He's a divisive figure, man. Yeah. and he also went to play for the Yankees, which didn't help him. He did. The... Yeah, he had no loyalty. Yeah, that's no. For sure. Um, no, yeah, no, he went, to, no. he went yeah. to the Yankees and he went to the Blue Jays, didn't he as well? Yeah, uh, he went yeah, to the, he yeah. went to the Blue Jays first, where he just yeah, where he won two more Cy Youngs and all resurrected his career magically. Played for like like ten more years. Um, yeah. Astros. Yeah. Yep. yep. Yeah. A little bit of time in Houston. Yep. Um, well, my card. Um, I really chose this one for the photography. Uh, with an upper deck card, you know, you get the dual-sided photography, so I always like that. This one is of uh, Rick Sutcliffe with kind of a shit-eating grin on his face yeah, right here. Battery's drunk, um, which if you... Could be if a you, possibility. If you, if, you go, if you YouTube Rick Sutcliffe, you know, most likely his plane's not going to come up first, <laughs> even though he was a really good pitcher. It's really going to be him being wasted. Um, so, and then on the back, he's squirting Mark Grace with a bottle of water. I don't know if you guys can see that. Yeah, see, he's got the water bottle there. Windex, or he's yeah, squirting Mark yeah, yeah. Grace with a bottle of water. Weird. So, I uh, that's Rick Sutcliffe, eight ninety-one upper deck gets my vote. So. Good card. Nice ninety-one yes. upper deck. Awesome. Yes. <laughs> Well, I think that wraps up another episode of Rock and Roll Sinshu Chu. Uh, I look forward to the next one, guys. And it's always it's a pleasure as always. Definitely. All right. Well, enjoy the rest of the weekend, and we'll see you soon. Take care. See you. Bye bye.